This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday. The Traveler's Inn, Tangled Scheme, Episode 5, Sights and Sound. This moment is when we need to step away and visit the Traveler's Inn for a brief check-in, but I promise we shall return to the singing Spider-Woman soon enough. Here we find Cogsley leaning down with Jack, Wanderly, and Nomad, staring into the crown of the bartender's dome. Color fog swirled under the surface of the glass. The automaton is a special thing, and no one really knew where Jack found him. Some think Some think the proprietor rescued him and brought him home. Others whisper that the inn itself created him. All I know is that one day, Cogsley was greeting people at the door, hanging up hats and coats, and doing some light cleaning. Before long, he was delivering meals and filling room requests, and shortly after, he'd moved to bartending and pretty much running the inn. Allow me a moment to describe Cogsley in detail, something which I haven't done yet, and I think it will help clarify things. Standing on two pants-covered legs that ended with shoes, and having two sleeve-covered arms that ended with gloved hands, most people think nothing of Cogsley at first glance. His tuxedo with tails, white gloves, red bow tie, and other finery was what most people noticed right away. But it's the automaton's head that really gathers attention once people get around to looking at his face, which oddly... A surprising amount of people never look at other people's faces. Cogsley's upper knob is a smooth, transparent globe that almost always has a top hat perched on it, a simple but elegant hat band made of deep blue silk circling the crown. See what happened there? There's a good chance that you just noticed the top hat has slipped right past the fact that you could look through Cogsley's head and see someone standing on the other side of him. The bartender's dome was in the shape of a huge, incandescent light bulb, with the socket threads disappearing into the collar of his starched shirt. Within the glass confines of the noggin stands an arch of coiled wire that lights up when something is going on. It was the automaton's equivalent to showing an emotional facial response, but fun fact, it also lights up when he gets an idea. Right now, though, we join the group as Jack is tapping on the glass that is Cogsley's head. Nothing is clear. I can't make anything out, Jack said. Is this thing on? Wanderly giggled. Lights are on, but Nomad began. That shall be well enough of that, sirs, Cogsley interrupted. I assure you that your humor is top-notch and clever, but there is a slight chance that I have heard each of those jokes. 
more than once. Can you project it on the big screen, Cogsley? Jack inquired, pointing at the sheet hanging in front of the stage where the band had been last week when the adventuring group had been there. Oh, that's another thing worth mentioning. And Jack loves to debate the topic. Time is not constant nor universal. It varies from place to place and, frankly, time to time. It's often a matter of perspective. Just check theoretical physics for more on that. The point is, though less than a day had passed for the group in the tower, a week had passed for the folks inside the inn. It didn't always work that way, though. Sometimes folks would return after a month and only hours had passed in the inn. Perhaps something to do with the flogston, sometimes called aether, or in more scientific form of circles, some equivalent to dark matter or dark energy, that the building was constantly enveloped by. Or just a quirk of magic. The second theory was usually used because it's much easier to discount natural, but little understood, phenomenon to magic than trying to explore it enough to understand it. Oh boy, movie time. Croker muttered from a booth in a dark corner. When did he get here? Nomad asked. Duh! Wanderly elbowed the demon mixed breed. You're not the only one who comes and goes without being seen. Yeah, but he's an old man with no magic. How the hell does he do it? Nomad squinted towards the shadows the gravel voice had come from. Come on, Cogsley. Jack took the bartender's arm and guided him to the counter. Ignore these jokers and let's get you set up. Of course, sir, the automaton drawled. Nothing more I'd like to do at the moment and be a spectacle for all to gawk over. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a projector. This is like a dream come true. The two moved to the center of the common room, the others bustling about to move tables out of the way and set out bowls of popcorn, pretzels, and peanuts. Why do all the good snack foods always start with the letter P? Wanderly wondered aloud, pointing at the bowls. Pickles, Nomad suggested. Potato chips, Jack added. Pistachio ice cream, Croker muttered from the back of the room. I'm not sure of that counts, old man, Nomad said over his shoulder. Don't be a pistachio hater. Croker mumbled, and buy a shirt, man. Nobody wants to stare at your bare chest all night long. Some ladies and gentlemen might disagree with that, Jack said as he adjusted Cogsley's position, then moved to straighten the sheet on the wall. I think it's a very nice chest, Gollum droned. I wish someone had sculpted my chest as beautifully as his. Inn employees moved about, filling mugs and tankers and Croker's wine glass. Okay, I think we're ready. Everyone grab a seat and settle down. Jack made a downward motion with his hands. Yes, sir. Cogsley moved to sit. Oh, that dry wit, Cogsley, Jack said. Not you, my friend. I'm afraid you'll need to remain standing. Of course, sir. What was I thinking? The job of a bartender... Therapist, manager, genius, and projector is never done. Cogsley resumed his bent position, straightening up. The automaton leaned forward towards the screen slightly, and the whir of gears could be heard in the anticipatory silence of the room, 
The light from the bartender's glass dome brightened, then projected onto the white cloth in front of the room. A scene of five people appeared, and cheers and applause filled the space. Gunther, Moggitz, Luna, and Moist Manx stood in front of a willowy woman with thin arms, covered in short, thick hairs, who gestured like an opera diva. Is there sound on this thing? Wanderly asked. Ah, uh, no, Jack said. But, Gollum, would you do the honors? Read their lips and tell us what they're saying? Yes, I would be delighted, the constructs said with their usual melancholy enthusiasm. Gollum thumped across the floor and stood next to the screen. In a moment, the figures on the screen gained voices, thanks to the assistance of the construct. Shrill trills cut through the air, the spider-woman raising her six spindly limbs as the pitch rose. Gesticulating towards the ceiling, the woman's body writhed in jerky motions. Her gown clung to her form, showing a smooth torso and extremely thin waist and a bulbous bottom half. The woman's legs were short and thick, ending in stunted feet with three thick toes. Blueberry raised her head, her high, reedy voice warbling counterpoint to the song. The woman's gaze followed the creature as it launched itself off of Gunther's shoulder and circled the room. No one else paid the dragon any attention. Not very good, is it? Moggitz winced. There's no vibrato, and she's a bit flat. Luna nodded. I'm not a brilliant singer, but I could even do better than this. Oh, my inner ear! Gunther shoved a finger into his ear and wobbled it around. It's kind of making me nauseous. Anyone else's head spinning also? Moggitz reached up to touch his ears, wiggling a finger in the canal. It's kind of like it's haunting, Manx mumbled, winding his music box backwards. Don't be haters, people. Everyone expresses themselves differently, and at least she's doing it. I can't say that for any of you. Judgy much? The group stood there, staring, transfixed, except for Gunther, who moaned and thumped the side of his head with the butt of his palm. No, the barbarian moaned. Uh, I can't take it anymore. Drawing the enormous sword from his back, the big man took two steps forward and fell onto his face, his weapon clattering across the floor. Manx didn't notice, still cranking his miniature gramophone as he watched the woman with wide eyes. Luna glanced towards the noise of the blade, her brows knitting in annoyance, and back to the woman, her mouth hanging open. The spider woman continued to sing, moving her head so her six eyes could take in her captive audience. Her lower jaw now separated into two individual calicera, moved from side to side 
in anticipation of a meal. Thick palps peeled away from her jawline like rogue sideburns that got bored and decided to explore their surroundings. She moved forward, her lower set of arms dropping to the ground, so she moved on four legs rather than two. More than a half dozen joints showed on each limb as the gown drew back, dragging along the floor. Hmph! Mogus, hand in his pockets, leaned forward and looked to one side, and then the other, checking the expression on the faces of his two companions, who were still standing. Looks like they're out! The wizard rocked back on his heels and considered the situation. He took one slow step to the side, watching to see if their unrequested hostess would notice. The woman focused on the other three, approaching them, still keening her mesmerizing tune. With them out of commission, they'll never see me loot the room or argue with me over anything I find, he said to no one in particular. On the other hand, if she decides to feed on one instead of just being a rapper, I could lose one. Might not be a bad thing if she goes for old meathead, but it would suck, <laughs> literally, if she decided to start with the kid or Luna. The woman stepped over Gunther, two of her four hairy feet stepping on him, moving towards the other two immobile victims. Well, Margaret sighed, I guess the choice is a no-brainer. I'll search the room unless she begins to slurp one down like a pudding. The mage grinned and sauntered across the room, stifling a whistle so he didn't pull any attention from the woman. He stepped into the center of the room, which was now behind the woman, and began chanting, Handy dear, pork, 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 he mumbled under his breath. Pulling small components from a pouch, he dropped a pearl into a pewter chalice and poured wine over the top. Lifting the cup to his lips, he tossed back the drink then spit the pearl back into his hand and dropped it back into the pouch he'd originally pulled it from. Always makes the wine taste richer when I do that, the mage muttered. He took a long pull from the wineskin then dropped it and the chalice into his backpack. It always gives me confidence. It's like magic, <laughs> Mogus snickered. The wizard waved his hands, his fingers winding into arcane configurations and words of a language had twisted the minds of lesser beings flowed from his lips. One of the few spells he knew fluttered into existence. Looking around the room, two distinct glows came into view. A smoking jacket that hung on a peg on the side of the second wardrobe, and something hidden in the shadows underneath the bed. That's it, Margaret grumbled. This damn town was once a school of higher learning for the arcane. Then again, it may have been an exaggeration, like most magic is. Looking up, his magical sight revealed dozens of things within two meters of the floor above were of a magical nature. Hells yeah, beaches, he squeaked. But until then, let's get the goods. Bet I could find all the hidden loot before she even kills one of them. Mogus moved across the room and removed the silken garment from the hook, admiring it. Hmm, 
Looks like this one will make me comfy in any weather, and I'll look pretty snazzy to boot. He nodded and smiled. Bet they'll notice it if I'm wearing it, though. He tucked it into his backpack and moved towards the bed. Glancing over at the singing spider siren, he saw she'd completely wrapped Manx in a sticky silk from head to toe. The kid lay on the ground, his viscous sarcophagus twitching as he moved within it. But how's she singing? If encasing them in icky, sticky stuff... He trailed off as he turned to Luna. The matron of the house was holding the woman aloft with four arms, spinning her. A hairy protuberance jutted out from underneath the gown. Spinnerets moving together and away like pincers, and a fine white substance sprang from the woman's abdomen. Very cool, Moggus muttered, then cringed. But pretty damn ew! Squatting next to the bed, the mage tore his eyes from the scene and looked underneath the frame of the massive furniture. A pair of purple footwear sat underneath, toes curling up and ending in teeny golden tassels. Slippers! Moggett slapped a hand over his mouth as the word slipped out. It continued quieter. Now I can slip in and out of places without making a sound. Sliding off his shoes and slipping on the slippers, he looked over to check on the lady of the house's progress. He saw the priestess was nearly enveloped. Ah, he grunted. She works fast. Only a minute or two before she's done with the dumb one, then she'll be coming for me. Guess I better make this quick. The rest was easy for Moggins, and decades of practice allowed him to scour the room in less than three minutes. During that time, he acquired a small coffer of gems and various purses and sachets of coins. Turning to see what was going on in the rest of the room, he saw Gunther was almost completely encased. Okay, time to save everyone, Moggins heaved a sigh. Hey, six eyes, he shouted. The humanoid spider turned at the sharp, loud sound of his voice. Something blue and wispy darted across Moggett's vision, causing him to turn and look for whatever it was. That's when she tackled him to the floor. Moggett's high-pitched scream of surprise rattled the sconces on the wall, and the mage pitched heels overhead as the creature barreled into him. The woman clutched him in four hirsute appendages, dragging the man upward as she pressed him to the wall. Pulling the grappled mage onto the ceiling six meters above the floor, the woman's jaw divided. Saliva in ropey veins strung from one side to the other as she thrust her face towards the man's neck. Reaching across his body, Moggett twisted the ring on his finger and uttered three distinctive and simple words that rang with arcane power. Bippity! Boppity! Boo! A stream of flame issued from the palm of the hand with the magical band, and the alien creature screamed in pain as it enshrouded her with a fiery burst. The hairs on the monster curled, her skin crusting, then rupturing under the onslaught. 
Morgitz pushed himself further against the wall, attempting to draw away from the intense magical heat that he generated. He found himself falling towards his captor and the floor as the woman lost her grip on the ceiling and fell. The world moved in slow motion. The wizard watched as the woman's eight limbs, each with seven joints, released him and shuddered inward towards her body. He smiled in triumph a moment before he crashed to the floor on top of the blazing husk. The maid screamed, only to have the air knocked out of him as he slammed into the age-hardened planks of the flooring. He rolled to one side, his robes dancing with small fires, and struggled to draw breath into his compressed lungs. He groaned, his vision blurring as his oxygen supply cut out. A small, iridescent, elongated dragon flew into his range of narrowing vision. It's a female, his mind thought even as his body struggled to breathe. But how can I tell? Magic, probably. Like I was ever good at that, though. She looked at him, cocked her head, drew back her lips in a growl, and blew out a cone of blue sparkles across the mage. His breath came back in a rush, relief quickly following. He smiled up at his miniature savior. Then, Blueberry spit on him, turned her tail towards him and lifted it. He saw a small, scaly flap at the rear of the reptile's belly convulse, and then the dragon disappeared from sight. Margaret sat up, grimacing at the sudden taste of musty thickness in his mouth. Slapping at the spots of dancing flames along his sleeves and chest, he put out the sizzling remnants his enemy had bequeathed upon him. Hurriedly turning to the side, he saw that the woman was curled in an oddly polyhedron-looking ball, twitching as the last of the magical spell died out. Looking in the other direction, Mogget saw Luna's cocoon, Manx's cocoon, and Gunther's mostly wrapped in a spider's silk trap, large puncture holes in his throat where she'd injected the paralyzing venom, and one eye staring in his direction. Jerking backwards, the mage tried to decide if the barbarian was conscious or not. The eye of the warrior didn't follow his movements, but it was staring directly at him. It would probably be okay, he hoped. Ten minutes later, the priestess, thief, and warrior were free of their bonds, sitting up and leaning against the bed frame. A combination of wine, a sharp blade, my own cleverness, and my indomitable magic rescued you, Morgan shouted, his voice louder than it should have been. You're welcome. Luna asked. What? The wizard yelled, leaning forward and cupping an ear. Luna asked again. Oh, hold on. Morgan held up a finger and stuck it in his ear, doing the same to the other ear with his other hand. Pulling out thick plugs of wax, he smiled at the groggy priestess. Sorry about that, he said in a normal tone. 
I pushed these in when Gunther said her singing and made him feel bad. What did you ask? You didn't think to warn us? The priestess growled. Wasn't time, Margaret shrugged, and I bet you wouldn't have listened anyway. You were way into that chick's diva gig to bother listening to some pissant mage that you barely trust and definitely didn't place any value onto his skill set. Any other questions? This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday. That's childrensnational.org slash holiday.